first, Monday, July 31st, from, from then all the way through August the 4th, um, Friday, August 4th this year. That's going to be the week of VBS. And Keepers of the Kingdom, the, the main key verses or the theme verses are from Ephesians chapter 6, the following chapter, verses 10 and 11, which say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that having done all, you can stand firm against the devil's schemes. And we see many schemes of the devil at work in our world. And this is kind of a broad brush statement, but there's really two ways that we can face the schemes of the devil in the world we live in. Uh, one is trying to study God's word, the one who made all things and who rules over all things, to understand what he says about who we are, what he has called us or designed us to be and, and to how to function. Or we can kind of do what our daughter often does whenever she sees a show with the countdown for a blast off. Ten. Nine. And covers up her face. I don't, I don't really know why. But she covers up her face in fear. And it's, it's like, you know, these imaginary monsters. You see children covering up their face as if by hiding their eyes, the monsters can't see them. You know? As if by hiding their faces, they can't be attacked. We don't want to do that as Christians. Uh, we don't want to do that as the church. Um, we want to know what monsters are around us, what schemes the devil is, is working. And so I've, I've mentioned this theme of spiritual warfare throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and really we see it beginning in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, when Satan comes to that first couple, that first husband and wife, and brings the world into sin through deception by getting uh, the woman to listen to him and to basically lead Adam and us all into sin. And so Adam and Eve were the first father and mother, and we see Satan's attack really on the family, which again is the building block of society at large. So this sermon hopefully will um, be instructive and encouraging for mothers, but for fathers as well and for children. I pray that this would be beneficial to all of us. And as, as is the case with any sermon, there's no way that I could ever try to even address each and every one of us in this room or listening to, to try and address where each of us are, how we got to this place where we are in our life. But I want us to sort of jump over all of our life experiences, all of our circumstances, and just take a close look, uh, introductory look, at God's design or plan for the family again. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 4. Again, if you just came in and you're using the Pew Bibles, you can find this on page 829, so please follow along. Be imitators of God. Oh, excuse me, sorry, that's verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. You notice that was one sentence. We sometimes just hear the first part or verse 25, but Paul is really saying a lot, challenging us as husbands here. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come before you at this time in the name of your Son, asking you to help us. We thank you that you have been so kind to us, that you have sent your only son to live for us and to die for us and to rise again for us. If anyone is listening to my voice at this moment who does not yet believe in Jesus Christ, who is not yet a follower of Christ, a child of the King as we sung earlier, I pray that this would be a day for them where they would repent and believe the gospel for the first time. And for others of us who are blessed to to have known your salvation for however long, we ask that you would grow us more in the faith, that you would help us in our weaknesses, that you would encourage us in our discouragement, that you would use your word this morning to strengthen us in every way by your grace. We thank you for for our mothers today. We thank you for all the sacrifices that they made and continue to make for us. And we thank you that they continue to show a type of selfless and and giving love, a self-giving love that is very much a display of the image of God, of how you give and give and give even at your own expense we thank you for our mothers we we ask that you would strengthen them to be what you've called them to be to to do whatever you call them to do we thank you that we have mothers that have kept us have devoted themselves to us and are trying to look to you and for all those who are doing that we we give you thanks and we ask that you would Strengthen their resolve. 
and continue to give them the comfort and the strength that they need. We ask that you would make the men in this society more godly, that you would help us as men to be more godly and more Christ-like in the way that we see Christ giving up himself for the church, to be the kind of men that mothers need. We ask your forgiveness when we have not shown the appreciation that we should show to our mothers, to our parents. And we ask that you would help help us as husbands, help us as children to show that we love and appreciate mothers, that they are a gift that you have given to children. And help all of us, Lord, to see in this text the truths that you would have us to see. Give us the, the wisdom and the insight to understand how to apply these truths to our own lives. Help me, Father, to, to be faithful to what this passage of Scripture is displaying for us. And for all of us to see the beauty of your design for the family, the the beauty that we can, with your grace and, and with your help, we can help each other and help future generations stand firmly on. For your glory and for our good, we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this is at least a three-part series and the general overview is, is God's design for the family and this this sermon is God's will for mothers and this is once again general principles no way that we could touch on everything that is in this text or apply it in every way possible but there's four four points that I want us to see from this text first of all the context of godly motherhood secondly the aim of godly motherhood Third, the fruit of godly mothers, or two examples of godly mothers from the scriptures that we have. The fruit of godly mothers. And fourth, the ultimate goal, mothering for the glory of God. So let's look at this first point. The context of godly motherhood. Paul teaches in this text about motherhood and fatherhood, but if you look down in, in chapter 6 again, you see some instructions here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so the assumption there, the first assumption, the first thing that Paul is trying to show us, is that there are parents, plural. Every child, every one of us born into this world has a father and has a mother. And the, the assumption or the, the presumption this text makes, notice Paul starts by addressing wives first, husbands second, and then children. And so within this text, we see that Paul is reminding the Ephesians of this groundwork, that there is a, a man and a woman who have come together in holy matrimony, have come together united as one flesh, in what is called simply a marriage. And the children are the offspring, the fruit of that. And that together, the parents' goals, the parents' 
are to try and raise the children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Or some translations will say, bring them up in the training or discipline and instruction of the Lord. But again, the context of this godly mothering is first and foremost the, the ideal that the, the original design is found there in the context of marriage. And if we were to do a, let's say, a questionnaire and send it around, I'm sure that every mother listening would be able to give at least a few points of why it is a blessing to have a father helping them be a mother. And this is, I know this is a sensitive topic for many of us, but when we look at the breakdown of society, we cannot divide things up the way that we often do. We have to think about them in their context. There's this original context that we see in the Garden of Eden even. And the foundation of godly mothering again is found in marriage. And look at what Paul says in chapter 5 verse 31 again. He's quoting from Genesis 2:24. He's actually quoting in, in Ephesians 5:31 the words of the first man that he ever spoke. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So you see Obeying your parents in the Lord, this idea that Paul is, is commanding here to the children, doesn't just include following verbal instructions, but it, it comes with a symbol. It comes with symbolic examples that are lived out before the children. And believe me, I'm not standing here before you saying that I'm the perfect example of what I'm preaching. These are the things that we are to strive for because they're true. These are the things that God has shown us as His will for us as human beings. And we all, to some degree, know what it's like to experience the breakdown of these truths. These are the ideal context, if you will, for godly mothering. God has and He will faithfully work in all of our situations, in all of our lives, if we're looking to Him Regardless of how we became a mother or father, God is gracious and God is caring. And all who look to Him in faith, He will strengthen you where you're at to help you to be the kind of godly mother that you should be. But the challenges of, of life that we either bring on ourselves or are brought upon us, we have to recognize how hard they are, but understanding that God doesn't rewrite His standards. God doesn't reorder or rewrite His, His rules and His ways according to us. But He will again meet us where we're at. And the second thing that I want us to see is the aim of godly motherhood. So there's the, the general context of godly motherhood. But then there's the aim of it. Look with me again at, at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. You notice how it begins. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. We'll get more into that in the second part. 
you notice that he begins by addressing husbands in chapter 5 by saying, Husbands, love. Love your wives. Fathers, do not exasperate. Because it was especially true at the time that Paul was writing these words, but it's true across the board. We as men, as fallen men, have a tendency to be a little bit too heavy-handed. And we are called to love and nourish and nurture our children so that we can do what he then goes on to instruct in the rest of this verse. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so we see here, generally speaking, one of the goals, not just of fatherhood, but of parenthood in general. Notice these words again. It's the same, the same theme rests over the command to children. Children, obey your parents in everything they say. No, in the Lord. There are some things that certain parents will tell their children to do that are not right. And there are certain things that should be disobeyed. But in the Lord, again comes on the heels of Paul saying, this is how you're to be a godly wife. This is how you're to be a godly husband. And then from that, we are seeking to be godly parents. And if that is the case and you're seeking to instruct them in the Lord, then we are to bring them up. We are to train them. And you notice the word is not forceful there. And this is hard for fathers. This is hard for mothers. We are so busy, especially nowadays. We can become so exhausted that when it comes time to us to try and instruct our children, we don't always do it in a loving way. I know I'm not speaking for myself this morning. All of us can experience this at times. But look at the words, bring them up. It doesn't say push them, drive them. Bring them up. This, this language of bring them up and training them, it's, it's almost agricultural language. You ever grown a plant like a tomato where you have to train it? There's certain tomatoes, there's certain plants that if you don't put a little string around it and help it to run, it's going to flop over. It's going to go off in every direction. It eventually kind of withers up. It's kind of the same picture. You're to nurture, just like that plant. You're to nurture the child. You're to give it some guidance, some guidelines to follow. And then you water and you let God give the growth. But again, it's in the Lord. This is a, a concept that carried from the Old Covenant into the New. If you read these words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, look at, these, look at these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your, on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So again, this concept of in the Lord 
is, is coming from a long history of the Israelites having been, for example, set free from Egypt. And God is saying that along with these commands, I want you to take the, the commands of my word. I want you to, to take the examples that you have been given of how I've redeemed you as a people and to put them all around your life. Put them on your doorposts. Put them, put them, bind them on your, on your wrists. And this was not just something that we're supposed to apply in the same way. It doesn't mean that we should also find how to, a way how to dress so we can have Bible verses taped onto us or tattooed for some of us or putting all over our houses in picture frames. That's not the point, really. The point is that the, the instruction of the Lord is supposed to be inclusive in all of our lives. You notice what he says, as you're walking down the street, as you're sitting at home, find a way to bring into the child's perspective who God is, what He's done. This morning I was attempting something. I asked Evie a question, our daughter. There was a spider crawling on the ground. So I said, who made the spider? She said, God. I said, yes, that's great. So then I said, why did God make the spider? And, of course, she's two, so maybe I'm, uh, my, <laughs> I have high hopes here. But Samantha, my wife, was kind of looking at me like, uh, I said, for his glory. So she goes, for his glory. And then Samantha kind of said, you're going to flesh that out a little bit? Like, what does that mean? And we chuckled about it. But this is the point. This is the point that God is trying to get across to us. Even some, to some degree before our children fully understand. We want to get them thinking, asking questions, having conversations. You know, Not just to be able to say, this happened. Or look, that's going on. And that's bad. That's half the battle. They need to learn. They need to be mentally instructed and trained. Why is it bad? Why is it good? Thinking about these things from a biblical perspective. So this is really... I would say, the primary aim of godly motherhood. Of course, to generally nurture the physical, the mental, the emotional needs of children by itself is a challenging enough task, is it not? By itself, that can be exhausting. But with God's help, you can not only do that, but take it beyond that to, to show children, to, to get them thinking, what does God think? about these things. So there are, there are general biblical truths. But we want to remember that our children, as wonderful as they are, each of them, they're born as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Our goal must be more than even just letting them grow healthily and, and do well in school and learn some things about God. They must learn that they are sinful. Our children need to learn that they need to repent and believe in the gospel. Our children need to be born again. Just like all of us. This is the same truth for all of us. They need to grow up. They need to grow up in the Lord. This is part of what it means. To see themselves and to see their need for Christ. To trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And to grow up in Him. Salvation includes more than just justification or forgiveness of sin. They need to be saved, yes. But what does that mean? 
It means forgiveness of sin and something that we call sanctification. For those of you who come out on Wednesday nights, you know that we're in Romans chapter 6. And one of the things that Paul is trying to defend for some people who are challenging the faith at that time, there are people who are saying, well, if salvation is by grace, well, why don't we sin so that grace may abound all the more? And Paul says, no, that's an antichrist mentality. Because how can we, who claim to have been born again, who claim to be Christians, which means we have spiritually died with Christ and been raised again to newness of life, how can we who walk in newness of life not bear the fruit of that? We will. And we must. And we must urge our children to believe and to walk in that belief. Amen? Again, these are things God has called all of us to do as primary aims. But mothers, I want to encourage you. God will not call you to something that He cannot equip you to do. God will always bring you to the point where you are, show you what we need to be, and if we are trusting in Him with repentant faith, equip you to do what needs to be done. But I want to look at the fruit of two godly mothers in particular. Where we see an example of uh, two ladies, at least one of them, um, a mother and a grandmother. We see the, the mother of young Timothy in chapter 2 of Timothy, 2 Timothy, and in, or in chapter 1 rather, and in chapter 3. We see this example in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 1 verse 5 Paul says this he says I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also now we know that the historical record keeping practices back in this time would have listed families according to the husbands, according to the men, right? Not for negative reasons either, just to be clear on that, but Timothy's father is never really spoken of. And so I think what we see in the example of Timothy's grandmother and then his mother and then himself, we see an example of two women who were willing, regardless of where they found themselves, maybe it was a less than ideal circumstance, maybe Timothy's mother or the most likely scenario is that she had married outside of the faith as a Jewish lady, that she had married a, a non-Jewish man that was Timothy's father. That's about as much as we can say. We don't know anything about his character. But he wasn't in the Lord. He wasn't in the faith. And so what, what do we see her doing? Well, she stayed committed to what God has called mothers to be committed to what did she give Timothy the best thing that she could possibly give him if you look at 2nd Timothy and chapter 3 2nd Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 15 you see these words or verse 14 but as for you Paul's saying this to Timothy now continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of 
because you know those from whom you learned it, referring to, again, Lois and Eunice, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You see? Because of the faithfulness of Lois and and the faithfulness of Eunice, knowing that we may find ourselves in circumstances that are not ideal, in circumstances that are hard to bear in some ways, but God has placed us there and our call is to be faithful because of their faithfulness to acquaint Him with the Holy Scriptures. Look at what He continues to say. You're acquainted with the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see right there that while there's no guarantee that our children will become believers, there is no guarantee of that. There is a guarantee that we can still be faithful to God's call as a mother, as a father, even as a grandmother. Faithful to God's call to give our children what shows them love that stretches beyond time itself into eternity. You want to love your children in such a way that they will experience the love of God forever? Give them the sufficient word of God, which is able. Able, that word able there means sufficient. It is able, it is sufficient to make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And we'll return to that passage in a little bit. And so again, Timothy Timothy didn't have a godly father, but Lois and Eunice were faithful. These are great examples. There's many others we could look at. But living by faith means that we cannot see whether our children will believe. But we know that God uses His Word to produce that faith. And so we sow the good seed of the Word. Whether it's sitting down at a dinner table or walking on the street. Faithfulness is not about seeing results. If we attach the idea of seeing results in our lifetime to faithfulness, we will give up very quickly. Some of us as parents will not see the results of our faithfulness at all. My own father didn't see the results of his faithfulness because it was after his death that the Lord saved me. But because of the word that was sown, because of the example that was shown, All of those things continue to instruct me today. Let that be an encouragement. Perhaps some of you have children that are not where they need to be at this time. I'm still not where I need to be, by the way. (laughs) Just to be clear, God is working on me. All of us. Okay? But if there's children who are here, who are listening who you know of, who are not yet believers, that that it discourages your heart sometimes, take that discouragement, bring it to the throne of grace, and just be faithful to what you can do. And go and rest in that. The ultimate goal, finally, so we see that the fruit of godly mothering, in a sense, is that we can have peace, and we can rest in the fact that God will bless in some way our faithfulness and will be honored by our faithfulness. 
Finally, the ultimate goal of mothering, I've kind of been saying this throughout, is the, the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, make sure you do it. Try your best to do it to the glory of God. And again, then God is, is pleased with us as we're doing things for His glory. We should have confidence in God. We should have faithfulness towards His Word. And this will bring us the genuine peace that many of us need. And as mothers, the entire process of mothering from conception all the way to the point where, well, I guess when you take your last breath, because let's be honest, which mother stops thinking about that call on her life? I don't think any good mother does, right? God has made it such that it is almost more organic by nature for mothers to hold that, that union, that attachment to their children, and it's, it's necessary. The ultimate goal for your mothering is the same one that we just saw in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. We want to see our children grow up and become wise unto salvation. Let me give you an example of some ways you can think about this. My own, my own mother, she would sometimes ask children who are thinking about going off to college, not just what kind of college it is, not just is it a good college, but if you're at least professing to be a believer, she would ask them, have you found a good church close by? Is there a good church near this school that you can, you can connect to? Because again, the building block of the entire society of the human race is the family. But second to that, and connected to that, is this thing we call the church, which is God's spiritual covenant family. And so we must always make sure we're prioritizing this entire concept of in the Lord and of the Lord by connecting each aspect of our lives and our children's lives, education included, to the health of their soul. For the glory of God, that's why we do these things. It is a great and awesome calling to be a mother, one that I cannot ever understand because I'm a man, but one that I can appreciate fully. I can appreciate, I can help my wife, and I can encourage other men to help their wives or their mothers or their children to instruct them and, and to encourage them and to love them in such a way that it is a genuine burden or a genuine challenge that is lightened, that is made a little bit more easy to honor them. I want to I want to mention just a couple of things that we should be aware of. In the age that we're living in when we talk about family. It's important that we understand a few of the devil's schemes at work. One of the ways that the devil could deceptively come into even good intentions that we have is to 
get us as families thinking about each other in a divided way. Instead of thinking about our mothering or our fathering as a unit, as a one flesh unit. And I know that's more difficult outside of a marriage, but that is still the picture God gives us. Can cause us to, to think that it's actually okay to not even bother with that. On top of that, he can confuse us into thinking that the distinction between a man and a woman is something that we don't even need to worry about. The sheer idea that only a woman can be a mother is now being debated in courthouses. How can a world that denies what it means to be a woman claim to honor women and mothers? These are some questions I really want us to wrestle with. How can a world that encourages women to destroy the life of a child made in the image of God in their womb claim to love mothers? Do you know that from the point of conception that child is a human being? Which means that that lady is a woman. I'm sorry, that lady is a mother from the point of conception. What that means is that every lady who is encouraged or aided in any way to do something like abortion does not cease to be a mother, but now has to live in a world where she carries the weight of essentially murdering her own child. The psychological, emotional trauma of that for the rest of her life. We need to help our children think about things from a more biblical perspective. And we don't need to shout about it. But we need to be well instructed and shaped ourselves about these things. Perhaps you feel the weight of where you're at this morning in your, in your own life, in your own situation. So firstly, I want to remind you again, as I said earlier, God knows where we're at. God knows how we got to this place in our lives. If you're struggling to, to be encouraged because of the way things are going, lean on Him. Look to Him. And He will lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. He will help you to walk in His ways. If there's a, a young lady who comes across the sound of my voice listening to this, who hasn't yet, let me start from the beginning, who hasn't yet gotten herself in a relationship and is thinking about what it might be like to have a boyfriend or something like that, be very careful being guided by your friends. Go to your parents. Go to your grandparents. But more than coming to us for instructions, go to the Word of God and see what kind of design He's laid out for relationships. The wisdom, the, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature of God's Word tells us not to awaken love before it's time to keep the marriage bed pure any of us who did not follow that wisdom 
would be happy to sit down and give you some wisdom on why you carry the burden of those sins, even when they're forgiven. You carry that around with you and you don't want to do that. If you are in a relationship and you perhaps have become a mother, you're, you're carrying a child, honor God because that child is still a gift from the Lord. He saw fit to allow that child to start growing in your womb and to cherish it and to love it as a human being. Not strands of something else chemically inside of you, but a human being that has the same honor and the same rights that you do. Nourish and cherish that child and God will bless you and help you with people who will help you along the way. Look to Him in faith again from where you're at and He will guide you in a way that honors Him. God is pleased with you and your love for that child. Some of us have, uh, are feeling the, the weight on days like this of having lost a child in a miscarriage. And that can be painful as well. But that is something that happens in this fallen world. That is part of nature. And if that is you listening to me, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, but you are still a mother of that child. You know what it feels like to have that connection, even from such a young age as less than a month old, and then to lose that. These things are instructive, are, are things that indicate God's goodness and how He designed us to be. And He will comfort you if you look to Him in faith as well. Know that you chose to, to love that child, but if, if you do not have that child through the death of the child in something like a miscarriage or after birth, God is well pleased with your mothering for as long as it lasted, as you tried to love that child. And to all of us, we must try our best to uphold this design, this blueprint that God has laid out in His Word. It is our responsibility, especially as the church, to, to start from God's Word and work our way forward or up from there. This has to remain the, the foundation. Because in the same way that mothers are called, along with fathers, to raise their children, to bring them up in the discipline or the training and the instruction of the Lord, the Apostle Paul also says elsewhere that the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth in this world. The God of all truth has spoken the truth of Himself, of His ways and His will into His Word. And we have to both believe it and share it and be an example as best as we can according to it in a world that needs to know the truth about these things. We need to be not like children who cover their faces when some imaginary monster is coming. But we need to recognize that there is an attack on motherhood. There's an attack on fatherhood, on children, on, on the family. There's a full-scale assault. And sometimes it covers itself up with, with words like tolerance or freedom or rights. But we as Christians are called to be conformed 
not to the patterns of this world, to the thinking of this world, but instead to be shaped by the renewing of our minds from God's Word. Paul says this in Galatians 1.4. Christ came to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And how does He do this? How does Christ rescue us? Not by zapping us out of this world, but by actually coming into this world on our behalf. Not because He needed to, but as the perfect picture. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 5? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Having set His heart on those of us who will believe with a unique love before time began. Christ entered time. He took on flesh. He became one of us to pursue His bride, His precious bride, and to live a life of sinless perfection. And as, as the only righteous one who ever lived, to, to then be treated as if He had sinned all the sins that we have committed, as if He had committed them. You make your own personal list and think about Jesus taking that list from you. All of your guilt. All of the things you will do till you take your last breath. Jesus taking all of our lists and placing them upon Himself. And being punished on Calvary's cross for that. So that whoever believes in Him will not perish. He received the essence of what that perishing would look like in hell. He received the essence of that upon Himself on the cross. And He ascended after rising again and He's reigning at the right hand of God. And He has sent His Holy Spirit so that all who are looking to Him will be renewed, will be made new so that we can come back to the Word of God whether it's what we've been looking at today or other areas of life and walk in newness of life. There is a present rescuing that is happening for any and all who look to Christ. And there is an absolute, eternal, final rescue that will happen at an unknown time when He returns again. And so if you have been tuning in for this long and you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, let me make this clear. There's something more important. There's something more important than living your whole life in a healthy family situation or becoming the greatest mother or father the world will ever know. And that is to be born again, to become a child of God, which will impact every other area of our lives too. If you have not yet repented of your sins and personally trusted in Christ, if He is not Lord and Savior of your life, then I call upon you this morning this evening, whenever you're listening to this, on the authority of Scripture, change your mind, repent, and believe the Gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners like us. And you see, the Bible begins with a marriage, but guess what it ends with? The marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what history will end with? It will end with a countless number of people who will be in one of two categories. All of humanity 
in the last moment will find themselves in one of two categories. Either you will have entrusted your soul into the hands of the great shepherd. You will have repented and believed the gospel. And you will go to what is called the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there will be no more earthly relationships there, by the way. There will be no more marriages. And you know the implications of that means there will be no more conceptions of mothers and fathers. And we're not going to be complaining about that. We are all going to be children of God. Together, brothers and sisters of our great elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who do not turn to him, there will be everlasting judgment from his very own hands. So again, let us examine ourselves today and let us make sure that we are in the faith. Make sure that we are truly repenting and believing in this gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself struggling with where you're at and wanting to, to grow in, in some areas, there's no better place to be than where you are right now. Go back to this passage. Go back to other related passages that speak about parenting. And see the context that it places it in. See the context that children are placed in in the Bible. Speak to myself. Speak to one of the elders. God wants to help those who look to Him in faith. God helped those who couldn't help themselves. First of all, by sending His Son. But to those of us who now look to Him for the aid that we need to, to be what He's called us to be, He is faithful. And He will supply all your needs if you're trusting in Him according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So let us pray to Him now. Heavenly Father, we...